0: Welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute.
1: You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Exodus 20, verse 17. And then Matthew 20. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. Matthew 20 verses 13 to 16. Welcome back. With uh, these words, I welcome you to another episode of the podcast for Cultural Reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute and also uh, broadcast on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. I'm Ryan Aris and I am joined again by Dr. Joe Boot, fresh off the uh, the tour of the United States. Uh, we've had an excellent time at the Mission of God Conference in Bonair, Georgia, as well as the Christianity and Culture Colloquium in Deerwood, Minnesota. I really, uh, really appreciate and uh, delighted to uh, to hear the reports of both those events. The encouragement that it was to uh, to meet many of you and to uh, to be able to participate in that uh, that ministry. So, Joe, uh, welcome back. Uh, hope you've uh, hope you've had a bit of time to rest, but uh, we're going to get you right back into it, into the chair here.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, it's been a very busy May and uh but uh always glad to be back in the chair ryan
1: absolutely well it's good to uh good to see you again uh we are wrapping up this series on the uh on the ten commandments uh the one that i just read uh about covetousness which we're going to talk about today this is uh the tenth and final commandment uh in the table of the law and uh, we're going to get into uh Many of the implications around it and how it uh, how it is applied and played out, uh, both originally and in the present day. Before we begin, just one more announcement. I mentioned the uh, the events that have just gone past. Looking ahead, the Worldview Leadership Academy in Canada that's happening in Port Colborne, Ontario, July twenty third to twenty eighth. Uh, this is for high school students, uh, ages fifteen to eighteen. And we are nearly full, but there we do have some some more uh, spaces available. So get to get to our website EzraInstitute.com. Uh, you can find the uh, the application and registration information for the Worldview Leadership Academy there. And we would be uh, we would be delighted to to welcome your teenager to that program this uh, this summer. July 23rd to 28th, Port Colborne, Ontario, Worldview Leadership Academy. Joe is going to be with us again, as well as uh, several other of our uh, faculty and fellows. Looking forward to that.
0: I do believe, Ryan, that um, as well, we are we are taking 14 through 18-year-olds. Um, oh, is
1: that right? Okay.
0: That's correct, yeah. I've got old and, information. Um, uh, <laughs> I think we... Uh, I think we've 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 opened it up to uh, to to those who are who obviously it's an application process but uh, uh, we've opened it up to 14 and um, the the good news is that we've got some of this expanded space because we've been able to uh, get some additional facility space this year so that it will be a, Mm. a, a larger worldview academy than in previous years so there is a bit more uh, wiggle room there. So we're excited to open that up um, and uh, have more students with us.
1: Okay, that's great. So never mind what I said. Listen to what, uh, what Joe mentioned there. <laughs> Ages 14 to 18, Worldview Leadership Academy this July. All right, thanks, Joe. So we're uh, we come to the 10th and final commandment uh, by the way, throughout this series, several of you have uh, have written in. We've appreciated hearing from you. All of the questions and comments that have uh, that have come across, we do read every one of them. Next week, we are going to be doing q and A. Uh, a Q&A. We're going to take uh, take the best, most representative of those questions, and uh, and deal with them. We we know that uh, a lot of times a uh, a discussion like this. Uh, raises as many, uh, as many questions as it answers. And we want to be able to, uh, to deal with those. So send those in info at Ezra Institute.com. Uh, we will, uh, we'll see all of those. There's a contact form on our website as well, and you can, uh, you can reach out to us directly. We'll see your questions and we'll try to deal with those for next week's episode. Now for, uh, for this week's episode joe we come to i've said it several times we've come to the last commandment we've been here a while and i'm kind of uh, i don't know what to do with myself now that we're <laughs> we're almost ready to uh, to move on to something else but you uh, need more
0: commandments Ryan more
1: commandments do you? that's, uh, that's got to be it <laughs> how i love your law oh yeah uh. yeah um joe maybe uh Let's uh, let's talk, this this command here. Uh, you shall not covet. It goes on to to provide detail of you know, some of the uh, some of the paramount instances of what uh, what is often coveted: uh, your neighbor's house, or wife, or servants, or livestock. Um, so the the specific objects vary, uh, but the command. As with uh, as with all of the second table, uh, is directed at social relationships, at the uh, the relationship between your neighbor. It's uh, it's your neighbor. It's it's your neighbor's stuff. Uh, it's your neighbor's uh, things. Um, maybe we can uh, we can start there. Uh, we've we've talked about uh, as Christ uh, famously raised, uh, who is my neighbor, and why? Maybe. Talk talk about that uh, about the the social implications there, as well as why why the Decalogue ends uh, with the, with this command in particular.
0: Yes, so the uh, the requirement, as we've discussed in in previous weeks, of God's law is that we are uh, living right righteously. Uh, by those around us in society. Mm. Uh, and as you've rightly said, God's commandments concern our social relationships, especially in the, the second table. And right social relationships are predicated on a right relationship with God. Augustine would have said yeah. it's the rightly ordered loves uh, so that we you know love God and then we love our neighbor. And I think we had a bit of discussion about who is our neighbor um, and some of the uh, significance of the meaning of neighbor in uh, previous weeks. Uh, but one of the interesting things about what God requires of us is that uh, we are actually to do right even by our enemy, uh, which is to say mm-hmm. that uh, mm-hmm. that um, we must seek to obey God's law, even with respect to our enemies. So when scripture says, love your enemies, it doesn't mean, Work up feelings of of emotional fondness uh, towards your enemy, or try and uh, create an emotional environment of um, uh, some sort of familiarity. Uh, but uh, but regard God's law as applicable to them. Also, don't take their life lawlessly. Uh, don't steal from them. Um, don't uh, don't covet. Uh, what they have, etc., uh, etc. Et so mm-hmm. the God's commands are directed towards uh, the harmonious social relationships, as they are, as they rest fundamentally upon the first table of the law, and that's one of the reasons, by the way, that we cannot have some artificial separation of first and second table, and sort of say, well, you know, societies are obligated to. The second table, but not the first table of the law. Well, the second table of the law is right. predicated upon the first, and so uh, the only way we can truly seek to obey God's commands for the social order and for a rightly ordered uh, society is if God has His proper place, and uh, that that becomes um, that becomes vitally important. So it's the social context here, and the. The interesting thing about the tenth commandment, some people almost sort of think of it, or the tendency is for us to think of it as a sort of appendage to the law. It sort of seems uh, tacked on, mm. as though it's um, in some way out of place, uh, but it isn't, uh, and uh, it has uh, a tremendous significance and force. The the, the the these bookends, really, of the of the commandments. The first one you mentioned, um, you know, is you shall have no other gods before me. And uh, that's right. the starting point, of course, of all um, obedience to God and of all righteous living, of all holiness. And, of course, of a rightly ordered society is that God is the center of the living God is the center of our lives. Uh, the, the the And that's, of course, a heart issue. And the, the last commandment also involves... Um, the radical importance of the heart of man. The scripture does say, of course, Jesus tells us that it's out of the heart. That's the root of our being. Come murders and adulteries and and thefts and all all these violations of the law, Jesus says, arise from the heart. And the heart, biblically, Mm
1: -hmm. is not
0: merely the seat of your emotion, as often we tend to think of it, but it's the I, it's the human ego, sometimes what we call the soul. It's the, it's the root unity of the human person. And so it's from this unity of the human person, uh, the I, the, the human ego, that spring all of these uh, lawless actions. And so heart motives are very, very important. And this, uh, this final commandment, the 10th commandment in many respects summarizes the significance of the sixth through the ninth commandment. So you shall not, uh, murder. Um, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear, um, false witness or false testimony. You shall not covet. Um, these, these commandments, uh, Concern our attitude and our posture towards our neighbour. They're not. We're not defrauding them of their life, or defrauding them of their uh, marriage, or their property, um, or their reputation, their good name. And finally, um we're told here in this sort of summary that adds another dimension for us uh, is that um, we should not even desire or have the intention. Mm in our hearts of defrauding our neighbor or taking from our neighbor or deceptively, manipulatively figuring out a way to, uh, because the, the force of of, um, uh, of the commandment here concerning coveting is is the, the attempt to attach to oneself the thing desired. So it's right. both a heart intention, it's a heart desire, and it's also an action. So it's not, it's not just one or the other. The word uh, involves both. But there's often uh, a sense in which we can strive to stay within the law, within the strict legality of a commandment, perhaps even of commandments six through nine, and yet mm. actually, ironically, be breaking them through covetousness.
1: Right, right. Yeah, we can, uh, as you say, we we can distinguish uh, between them, but we can't uh, can't functionally separate them. Mm-hmm. Um. So one one of the things that uh, that I found interesting is that uh, to covet to covet in scripture, uh, especially depending on uh, your translation, some of the older translations like the King James or the Geneva. Coveting is—it's overwhelmingly, it's often, but it's not exclusively a negative thing. Um, mm-hmm. So in uh, in First Corinthians, where he's uh, where Paul Paul is teaching on spiritual gifts, uh, we're told in uh, ver- or chapter twelve to covet earnestly the greater gifts, or in fourteen, uh, covet to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking with, with tongues. And it's a uh, there's a sense here, I actually, I went and looked this up after I uh, I noticed that. This is from uh, Noah Webster's 1828 version of the American Dictionary, uh, where there's a sense of coveting uh, that uh, describes to desire or wish for with eagerness, to desire earnestly to obtain or possess in a good sense. So it, it seems like, seems that we can, we can, properly covet things, uh, but they would be the things that, you know, that God has promised or that God has, uh, allowed or permitted us to receive things that are, are natural and good to us that can properly belong to us. Um, so I don't know, like if I'm, if I'm making a recipe and I'm, uh, you know, I want more chocolate flavor in this recipe. That's not, uh, that uh, that's a, Prosaic example, but uh, it's kind of that's that's the sort of sense that uh, that I take it that you can earnestly desire something that is natural to the thing already. Yes, you can covet that uh, in an appropriate way.
0: Yeah, this is a this is an important point, and I think that it it uh, it speaks to a theme that we have occasion to address quite frequently, and that is a the problem of pietism and, uh, right. uh, and an artificial yep. separation of the so-called spiritual and material. Uh, because pietism has tended to focus everything on the heart as opposed to mm-hmm. outward action and not seeing the heart in the root unity sense that I've just described it. Um, but but everything is uh, tends to be internalized and often focused around emotion and our emotions are feelings um but the uh, the reality is is that ambition there are things that are actually that you know so for example pietism would tend to view you know the desire for success or uh the the, the you know uh, ambitions uh, the desire to maybe even be married or to um, have success in in business uh, to be fruitful in some mm-hmm. area of life is somehow ungodly um, uh, to be um, uh, to be effective to be uh, r- um, to be remembered for something really important and valuable uh, to um, to to high to 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 highly achieve in one's life. These are often things that are sort of frowned on by Pietism right. as ungodly desires, you know, to have wealth, to be successful, to be prosperous, um, etc. Because this is the material world; these are material desires, and therefore they're not spiritual. That is not what the commandment is saying at all. Um, right. In fact, it is actually important in our lives. as Scripture makes plain that we eagerly desire. Uh, that we eagerly desire to possess, to have, to attach to ourselves, things that are good, um, and yep. uh, that includes God's all of God's gifts. You rightly refer to First Corinthians and uh, the desiring of particular gifts uh, as well in the life of the church. Um, of course, we have uh, illustrations of uh, hugely prosperous. Um and great uh, men of God in the Old Testament, like Abraham and job, um who right. were greatly blessed by God and uh, desired to see nations established uh, to to see a nation established, to see the prosperity of the people and so on. Um, there was a desire in Joshua to be a to be a leader to to um, to mm-hmm. linger in the tent, to, to emulate Moses. Um, Elijah uh, is uh, the, the prophet who likewise wants to be like his father, um, spiritual father, I- Elijah. So it is not, the Bible is clear. It's not wrong to desire the good things that God has given. It's not wrong to eagerly desire them. Um he who finds a wife finds a good thing, the scripture says, and receives favor from the Lord. So eagerly mm-hmm. desiring family or a prosperous work, um, fruitful fruitful work, um, having uh, ambitions to be a leader, um, even eldership in the church, uh, we're, we're told is something that should be eagerly desired um, mm-hmm. to be an overseer. Um, To one who eagerly desires that, desires something that is good. So it's not desire as such that is forbidden in the commandment against covetousness, but a lawless desire, Um, a a desire to attach to oneself, to take for oneself, to eagerly desire to possess for oneself something that properly belongs to somebody else. That's the issue of covetousness and um mm-hmm. david king david let's take david as an example um uh, was a man who desired to be a man, to to be after god's own heart and uh, he wanted to be yeah. a a great king a faithful king a good king uh he wanted to expand the territory of israel he wanted to build the lord's temple even though it was solomon who built it in the end david had many ambitions And many of those desires were good. But on a particular occasion, he had uh, a covetous desire that was evil. And uh, he desired Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, those of us who know our Bibles and are familiar with the account know that uh, David saw Bathsheba. He desired to have her and he took her for himself lawlessly and committed adultery. Um, but what's interesting, or partly what's interesting about that, is that the he, he yes David committed adultery, but in the attempt to justify or cover up his adultery is perhaps the better way of putting it to 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 cover his tracks, um, mm-hmm. he actually did things that were not technically illegal. Uh, he didn't That's technically right. murder Uriah. Uriah was a soldier. He was a commander in the army, but he required that he be put in the front line and then exposed yeah. to the enemy troops. Um, and of course, uh, then his his uh, his own commander, then David's own commander, participated in the in the wrongdoing. Um, so yeah, which one is of the things that bad that this-
1: strategy, but it's not. Uh- it, as, just to reinforce what you're saying, that's that's poor warfare strategy, but it's not not out of line. That's that's the that's the commander's prerogative to put a soldier in a dangerous position.
0: Right, and uh, the, uh, the 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 intention behind that, of course, is the issue, but it wasn't an act of murder yep. as such. And uh, I think that the. The issue that I think is important here is that what covetousness cuts off, what covetousness, this command against covetousness, that is coveting and desiring that which is lawless, um, that which Mm -hmm. is against God's will and purpose, cuts off the root which could so easily be be taken by a kind of coarsestry, which the Pharisees and the scribes were often guilty of. Uh, Jesus condemned them for was that they would actually use the law itself uh, to try and justify themselves, that they were technically, legally not guilty. Take, for example, when Jesus challenged them with regard to um, caring for parents. He said that yes, you bring yeah, your exactly. gift, uh, you bring your tithe and your kumin and your various uh, 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 tithes to the temple. But then you say, um, it is Corban, it is a gift to the Lord. And therefore, my duty to my parents, uh, I don't have to look after my parents now. And he says, and so you yep. nullify the law by your tradition. And so in other words, there's, there's a way in which we can, through a technicality, Um, through a legal loophole, actually look at some of these commandments. Let's take the commandment we've just discussed with David and adultery and say, well, I'm not an adulterer. I haven't overtly committed adultery. Okay, but have you sought to attach uh, to yourself another person's spouse, husband or wife, by undermining... The, that uh the 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 husband or wife of that person in your speech have you have you basically desired mm-hmm. to slowly undermine trust between the, those partners in that marriage so that you can draw that person to yourself i saw this as a pastor right yeah. i saw um uh, a number of cases of it one that was particularly tragic in which a young woman, um, slowly over a long period of time sought to unattach the, the husband from the wife very, um, carefully, very Mm. strategically by the way that they spoke about the spouse and Mm. deceived and manipulated Mm. in order then eventually to be in a position to, not just because of the desire for that person attach that person to oneself. And then it did lead eventually to full blown adultery, but it started, right. it started with that covetousness. And, uh, there are, there are ways in which this can actually happen where, uh, we are, we use a technicality within the Lord's table. Well, I'm not actually doing that yet. um, but the journey has already been engaged in because of this earnest desire to possess whatever it may be or whomever it may be and covetousness is then a road that leads very often because that's where the 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 sin begins there in the heart uh it then leads to the direct attachment this direct possession and um it can be expressed in a variety of ways that we can talk about but i do think that's an important point that we mm. can desire in a positive sense in a, in a god authorized way um we can earnestly desire many things that god has said these are good gifts of my creation these are or these are these are spiritual gifts or these are even offices um or that that you can desire to be a husband or to be an elder etc cetera, etc cetera. But to but to seek to attach to your to your to, uh, things to yourself lawlessly that are not yours by right to possess them to work towards that goal is an action. It's not just a desire, and uh, it leads to all manner of sin. And so we need to distinguish between good desire and bad desire, and then we need to recognize that covetousness mm-hmm. isn't merely about desires, but it's about the actions that we then begin to take in service of those desires that can often be very deceptive and often look as though they are lawful
1: right yeah and as uh, as you mentioned it uh, in, in the case you mentioned it did sort of culminate in full-blown physical adultery but that uh, it doesn't it doesn't need to in order to to be covetousness to uh, to undermine that uh, that God or- God ordained marriage relationship, in order to exert some level of you know emotional control or spiritual loyalty or anything like that, it, it need not culminate in, in you know a uh, in an, a extramarital in physical a relationship. Yeah.
0: Yes, exactly. That's why. Uh, I said that the, the this commandment against covetousness cuts off any sense of a, a loophole around uh, uh, these commandments, because it is sin. It's a violation of God's mm-hmm. commandment to eagerly desire those things which are not yours, um, uh, that, that God has not made available to you and uh, if you know yeah. imagine we we lived in a world ryan where where covetousness was reigned in uh, where you wouldn't you wouldn't have via these other violations of the of the law um right. uh, of the second table at any rate because the the the, the covetousness of man un, under uh, control and rightly directed towards the things that god permits would would cut off a route to um, violating the law in these other ways, which is why the commandment against adultery, is, against covetousness, I should say, is so very, very important because it cuts off the route to murder and adultery and so on yeah. and so forth. Um, if you don't commit the sin of covetousness, you're not going to end up in those situations.
1: Yeah, and especially throughout the New Testament, uh, where covetousness is mentioned, it's uh, it's frequently mentioned alongside uh, theft, adultery, murder, because yeah, co- the act or attitude or, or uh, the heart orientation of a covetous heart is distinct from the act of taking the thing, but it's uh, That's right. they they do go together. I think uh, I wonder if the we've we've talked about this in several other places, but. This is a negative commandment: you shall not covet. Uh, and the uh, the implication, the principle, is that it enjoins its positive opposite, uh, which Scripture shows us is uh, is contentment. Uh, Hebrews thirteen five says that let says let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. And I think that uh, here here is the I get here, here is the litmus test. Here is the principle. And maybe you can comment uh, further on this, that if I, if I am content with, you know, my own home, my own wife, my own possessions, uh, that added, that's an attitude that's a preventative against, uh, coveting somebody else's.
0: Yeah, indeed. Um, it's, uh, it's both that, so I think it's the it's the it's the cultivation. So you know, Paul Paul says, you know, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness right. with contentment yeah. is great gain. So there is even a a, a motive presented to us there uh, that great gain is involved with godliness and contentment, um, whereas the lie of covetousness is that that uh, no you can you can have more. You can benefit, you can be blessed, as it were, uh, if you pursue these things that uh, 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 do not belong to you. Um, so there is the there is the 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 requirement that we are satisfied and we're content. But I think it goes beyond that even to the point that we should be actively seeking to to guard the uh, yeah. possessions, the the family relationships uh the the household because this commandment really implies the remember when this command was given most people were living in tents not not built structures so when it says don't covet, you know what's in your neighbor's house that is to do the that all of that which is within the orbit of your neighbor and so it's not just that we should try and um actively resist the 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 earnest desires of having what is in the household of another but that then we should also positive, positively seek to protect the household of our neighbour, um, to guard in that sense our neighbour um, and their goods and their family and their reputation. Um, that we should seek to, to, to care for them. You know, scripture says that uh, you know look at not look out not just for your own interests, interests, but also for the interests. of of others and of course these are very challenging things so the way to to counteract as you've said a covetous spirit is to cultivate contentment and the way to um to 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 turn this commandment into a true positive is to to actively be seeking to to guard and protect uh your your neighbor's household your neighbor's family to to um mm. to, to to come alongside them as it were in that true neighborliness especially in the in the brotherhood of the life of the church uh that we are seeking to protect one another um and advance one another and i think that uh would work against that covetous spirit that the in in the opposite direction would be as i say the way in which we can even sort of in the name of law be engaged in covetousness. A, a few examples mm. of, of how we can fall prey to this. Uh, for example, a, a banker or a trader um, may be well within the law uh, to uh, make a certain trade or strike a certain agreement. Um but they know that what they're ultimately doing is going to be for the person's harm. You remember, of course, in 2008, we had the the, the, the subprime mortgage crisis. Well, that mm-hmm. actual uh, massive collapse in the markets and in housing and everything else was driven by covetousness. Technically, yes. when the when the person who wanted, eagerly desired that house, told their mortgage broker that they could afford it, They weren't uh, uh, violating the financial uh, regulate. They weren't violating the law as such. When the mortgage broker, who kind of knew that the homeowner was that the the would be homeowner was overstating their capability, wasn't violating the law when they when they took that um, uh, you know that file to the bank as though this was going to be a good mortgage and when the bankers mm. sold off those mortgage products uh to the market um uh, you know with the with essentially the, the 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 view that these were good mortgages uh they were not technically violating the law but every single person in that chain was acting covetously and um was violating the spirit of you shall not steal because of covetousness whereas protecting those people's interests would have been saying to that would-be homeowner as the broker look realistically your situation um does not like does not look like over the over a long period of time you can afford this mortgage and if there was a change in the base rates in the interest rates you're not going to be able to afford it um, the same way the mortgage broker could have been forthcoming with the banks, and the banks therefore with the markets, and so you can see there's an there's an illustration. Or what about um, in the academic field, in the field of of, um, of scholarship? Uh, you know, the, mm. the, there is a, there's an industry of book reviewing out there, and yep. uh, some people are requested, even paid, to write book reviews, but. You know, oftentimes these reviews can be motivated by covetousness, um, a desire to defraud somebody of their reputation, um, a desire to mislead um, and deceive. And so in academic circles, it's very common for uh, people to be ganged up on or people to be uh, pilloried, but it's done in the name of a review. Now, these are, in a sense, lawful Um but but is there a covetous motive um what about the lawyer um who you know has an option of various cases they might take you know we, sometimes we call them ambulance chasers uh in north america mm. um where the goal is um in the name of the law taking the 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 area of accidents or whatever uh to um, it's lawful to take these cases, but very often it's known that the, there's a lack of reality to them, and so there's a defrauding really going on of the insurance companies. And then an mm-hmm. insurance company, though, can also, in the small print, defraud the poor, um, the the creditor, the payday loans, for example, Ryan, the, uh, the the credit card company that will that will charge you know thirty percent interest the unsuspecting, the unwitting in the small print, whether it's in insurance or in credit or in payday loans, technically not breaking the law, but the goal is covetousness. The desire is covetous. The desire is to defraud. And so in very subtle ways, in in varied and many ways, this commandment enjoins not just the negative of not coveting, but actually, of trying to ensure in our lives that we are not defrauding, we're not seeking to attach to ourselves something that doesn't really belong to us. Um, and there are so mm-hmm. many different ways that this can be done. We have to be we have to be careful and sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit, that, Lord, I don't just want to avoid violating your commands. I want to walk in the direction of your commands. I want to walk in your paths. I want to, to, um, uh, be obedient, be faithful, and 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 for my my obedience to be motivated right from the heart, from the very desires of my heart. That this would be not just to uh, walk as close to the cliff edge as possible without crossing the line, but how can I walk well away from the cliff edge? And as you say. you know fulfill these commands in a positive way um by seeking to protect the interests of my neighbor
1: right yeah absolutely there's a uh, there's a lot to uh to internalize uh, as we as we look to apply and externalize this principle joe we were uh, we were talking before the show about a uh, a singular case uh in the uh, in the record of Scripture from the conquest of Canaan, that uh, that really exemplifies this principle and has a lot of lessons for for our own lives. Uh, I want to uh, I want to wrap up with uh, with giving you a chance to to lay out that uh, that story, and I just want to kick it off uh, with one verse from uh, from Deuteronomy here that uh, talks about sort of on the eve of that conquest. Uh, and then give you an opportunity to uh, to lead us into that uh, that last uh, lesson. This is Deuteronomy seven twenty five, uh, where the Lord says, "You shall burn the carved images of their gods with fire. You shall not covet the gold or silver that is on them, nor take it for yourselves." And I think that uh, that has a direct uh, direct bearing on uh, what you're going to uh, share with us here.
0: Yeah, I think this is a. Uh... But this is a a really significant and important story. And um, um, before I comment on that, which I'm going to do, there was one other thing I wanted to add uh, prior to that, mm. and 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 that is to say that um, one thing we need to be cautious of uh, in our social and political lives is that covetousness can actually become a system. So it's not just individual and we'll see in this illustration in in Joshua 7, 6 and 7, that um, the the, the issue of covetousness was corporate, uh, and there was a corporate Mm. uh, threat, there was a corporate risk, but there is a corporate risk to covetousness, and covetousness can become actually systematized. And politically, um, we are living in a very covetous age, Um, whether it goes under the name of communism uh, or Marxism, or uh socialism or fabian socialism or national socialism or even rugged individualism uh where we think well you know to hell with people's interests as long as i'm making a profit um all of these things are ways in which we can actually politically seek to systematize covetousness Uh, even with um what the in England with the Fabian socialists would have been called a meritocracy uh where we say, well, you know people should only um have privilege based on their their personal merits, and therefore inheritance taxes were introduced in uh Britain, uh highly confiscatory um uh, larcenous. Theft, basically, by the state of people's property, so that it couldn't be handed down to their children, all in the name of meritocracy. Uh, because you know, what if there are people who've done better in their exams than these kids who are uh, who are going to inherit their parents' property? Says so the asset stripping. So, whatever name it goes mm-hmm. under, uh, of course, Marxism classically, you know, from uh, from everyone according to their ability to everyone according to their need. This is covetousness Mm -hmm. dressed up in a system, and you can lawfully, and and I say that in inverted commas for the benefit of those who aren't watching this, um, (laughs) you can can lawfully, through the long arm of the state, um, legislate covetousness. And we are living in a time in the West where increasingly covetousness is legislated, and uh, we think that because this is done by law, through confiscatory taxation or steeply progressive taxation, uh, through a through a massive welfare state or through um, manipulation of currency of the markets, Ryan, through quantitative easing, which is when governments print vast quantities of paper money, not backed by anything other than promises of future taxes, and by pumping all of this paper money into the economy, radically devalue people's savings, just so that they can continue to provide lavish public services. This is theft. And a lot of Christians think and tend to think that if the state is doing something by law and because people voted for it, there's nothing wrong with it. That's, that's right. somehow it's not covetousness. I remember uh, Thomas Sowell um, actually saying, uh, the um, the great black American intellectual, that he said he'd never understood why it was greed uh, to want to keep what you'd earned and why uh, why it was not greed to want to take what other people had earned. Um, right. And that's a very good question. Yeah. Uh So we can actually, just because we have systematized and then legislated covetousness does not cleanse us of the sin of covetousness. And far too many Christians have slipped into this, where we think of covetousness as something purely individual in our personal relationships. But when the state is stealing from people on a massive scale, and taking from them through all manner of manipulative means, whether it is through quantitative easing or through larcenous forms of taxation um, to, for the purposes of redistribution and socialism, um, that is covetousness that has simply been enshrined in the law. And just because it is legal, it doesn't make it moral. It's a violation of the Tenth Commandment. So much of modern politics is based on envy, and it's grounded in covetousness. And we need to repent of it, Uh, whether it's in the form of a laissez-faire, rugged individualism that couldn't care less about uh, uh, people's lives by the way we act um, and conduct business, or whether it's through uh, uh, Marxist and socialist policy, it is covetousness and uh, this is one of the areas where we see this immediate social and political application there is a corporateness then to uh, covetousness uh, that we need to be uh, conscious of Um, you know an egregious example today is this whole net zero uh nonsense uh Mm. where you Mm. know practically what people breathe is being taxed by the state um and they are being robbed blind for the purposes of, of redistribution Um, it's covetousness uh, and we need to repent of it. Now there is this case to close that you mentioned in Joshua six and seven, which I wanted to mention uh, in part because covetousness is explicitly mentioned and it's the instance where we're, we're uh, in the conquest of Jericho and God has promised that of course, the land to the Hebrews, to the Israelites um, and Jericho is one of the first, uh, great challenges after, uh, crossing over the water. And here is the, here's the first great challenge that is going to face them. The seemingly impenetrable walls of Jericho without going into the whole story. God promises that he's going to give them the city, um, that, uh, he is going to work a miracle. The walls are going to come down, uh, and they are to go in. And they are not to take for themselves what has been devoted to destruction, uh, what is devoted to the Lord, as it were. So they weren't to just take the gold and silver for themselves. They weren't to take possessions for themselves, as you mentioned, the animals and so on and so forth, uh, and to effectively uh, covet those things and take them for themselves. If they did, there would be a corporate judgment. Uh, God's hand would be against Israel. And uh, so without exegeting the entirety of the, the passage, we find that after um, God hands Jericho to the people of Israel, shortly thereafter, there is a defeat um, of uh, some of the um, soldiers that are sent to defeat I AI, that is, not AI in the sense of artificial intelligence. That's the name of a place. Um, Different AI. uh, Different kind of AI. God is aware that that, that things that were devoted for destruction, set apart for destruction, were taken, and God's anger burns against Israel. And um, Joshua sent men from Jericho, um, to Ai, and he sa- tells them, go out, go up and scout out the land. But instead of being able to do that successfully, uh, the men who go up, about 3,000, uh, flee from the men of Ai, and many of them are struck down. 36 of them are chased and struck down. And Joshua basically is is desperate, and he inquires of the Lord why this has happened, and he says, what can I say, Lord, now that Israel has turned its back and run from its enemies? Um, What will you do Mm. now about your great name? And the Lord says to Joshua, look, why are you on the ground? Israel has sinned. And this is what the scripture says. They have violated my covenant that I appointed for them. They have taken some of what was set apart. They have stolen, deceived and put the things with their own belongings. This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They will turn their backs Mm. and run from their enemies because they have been set apart for destruction. I will no longer be with you unless you remove from you what is set apart. And of course, eventually there's the confession of Achan. He says, when I saw among the spoils, a beautiful cloak from Babylon, 200 silver shekels and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And we have the incident then in the Valley of Achor where basically Achan and those involved are executed. Uh, because of God's uh, uh, wrath upon Israel. Now, it's a very interesting passage because the covetousness is specifically mentioned, it's dealt with, and in this case, it's um, the possessions of the pagans. It's what belonged to the pagans. But what is particularly engaging to me, anyway, about this passage is that the the net result of covetousness, which, as I said, involves both the, uh, the, the, the coveting uh, to to covet and to take, so the two meanings of the word hamad, covet and take, uh, both go on here. There's the desire, and then there is the the taking. And the the fascinating uh, thing is that in the 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 process, the the net result is that the people are afraid of their enemies. Uh, they run from their enemies, and they are defeated by their enemies. And God says that they cannot stand against their enemies because of their covetousness. And Mm. uh, it really gripped me in reflecting on this, that is this not a huge part of the problem we now face in the West as Christians? God has, in his word, promised us not merely a strip of land in Palestine. He's promised us the whole earth. He's promised us the nations right. in Christ, that, yeah. that, that Christ will inherit the nations, that he will see the travail of his soul and be satisfied, that the Great Commission sends us out to declare the gospel to the nations, and the nations are being reconciled to God. <clears throat> but very often in the process, the Christian church, God's people, are defeated and not just are we defeated but we run away we saw a period of running away in the last two or three years running from our enemies mm. um and being afraid of our enemies and uh the reason we're given in this passage is that they'd taken what had been set apart for destruction they would coveted what belonged to the pagans it's typified i think when the scripture says, the ancient says, when I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Babylon. You know, we as the Christian Mm. people, as a Christian church in the West have looked at Babylon and we said, what a beautiful cloak. Look at the, look at what the, the Babylonians look at what the secular world cloaks itself in. Look at the pagan world. Look at their cloak, human reason, state education, the, the, yeah. it's, it's welfare state. Look at its uh, sexual libertinism. Uh, and we have, we have, uh, look at its, uh, its, its view of the family. And steadily we have bought into the, the statism of paganism, the welfareism of paganism, the, the sexual license of paganism, the covetousness of paganism. We said, look at the cloak of Babylon. Let's take that for ourselves and let's hide it in our tent. Let's hide it in the tabernacle of God. Let's hide it in the temple of God even. So let's take what God has said is to be destroyed. Let's take their theories, their autonomous reason, their secular education And let's wear the cloak of Babylon. We coveted it and we took it for ourselves. And the result, Ryan, the net result is we have fled from our enemies, even when no one pursues. And we've Mm -hmm. been defeated by our enemies. Mm -hmm. And the reason that God says is that we can't stand is because the net result of that covetousness is that God hands us over. He actually hands an apostate people and an apostate church is handed over to judgment. And you cannot help but look at many of the denominations of the Western world that have fallen and been utterly destroyed. They've been devoted to destruction because of their apostasy. And much of the West is on the verge of that destruction because of our apostasy, because of our covetousness. We have coveted the robes of Babylon. And that's what we need to Mm. repent of. Mm -hmm. We need to repent of that. We need to root it out. We need to root it out of the church. We need to root it out of the body of Christ, of our posture towards the pagan secular world. And we need to say, no, God has devoted the robes of Babylon, what it tries to clothe itself in, to hide its real nakedness, to destruction We need to be faithful and obedient to the total word of God, to the lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of life. And you know, then we'll be bold as a lion. Then we won't run from our enemies because we won't be set aside for destruction, but for life and blessing and prosperity as we obey the living God.
1: that's a uh, that's a powerful exhortation joe i appreciate you, uh, you bringing that to the uh the yeah the why why would we expect that pagan uh even demonic wicked weapons that uh, that hurt us why would we think that we we maybe we can uh, maybe we can turn these maybe we can uh, make use out of these you know and there are you know, there are good things that non-Christians have developed that that can be redeemed. The earth is the Lord's, even though it's groaning under the curse of sin. But you know, godless, godless systems, godless attitudes, godless techniques from you know from root to branch need to be rooted out.
0: Precisely, precisely. That system of the world, as you rightly make a distinction there, and I'm glad you've made that. The difference between the reconciliation of all things to God, the good things in God's creation, and then the attempt to take the system of the world, typified by Babylon, and Mm. make that our own. To God will simply not allow that the king of Sodom should make Abraham rich. It is the system of the world. Yes, It, It is that covetousness of Babylon itself um, that has entered the church, entered the thinking of Christians that God will not permit.
1: Yeah, yeah, Amen. Joe, thanks, uh, thanks a lot for uh, for being here and for uh, that uh, that last lesson in particular. This uh, this brings to a close. As I mentioned earlier, our uh, our series in the Ten Commandments. We'll be t- taking some questions next week. For the time being, I remind you, as ever, that from him and through him and to him are all things. This has been the podcast for cultural reformation, always and only to the glory of God, and we'll look forward to being with you again next week.